So this recording uh, is a little bit different than the Sunday morning service uh, because I had to record it at a separate time, at a separate place. And, um, you know, I, I chose to do it because uh, it's a pretty overwhelming response as far as uh, wanting to listen to it again and hear kind of the components in the message. And I can certainly understand why because uh, it's a really important one and certainly there's value in me hearing it again. Certainly there's value in me saying it again. Um, so it will be, you know, similar content. And uh, as far as what we talked about on Sunday morning, might not be exactly the same um, because there absolutely is something to be said for a Sunday morning and the Spirit just moving and working in that moment. But there is also absolutely something to be said for the Spirit moving in any moment, at any time, no matter the place. And so that's why I decided, you know, I'll just kind of record it again. Uh, almost like a podcast kind of thing, and um, you know we'll see uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, so we were in John chapter three, uh, where we were on Sunday, and um, the way that we started the message um, is uh, is with a little uh, music clip, and the purpose of the music clip was to uh, get us start to thinking about. Um, the topic for our message this Sunday in John chapter uh, 13, or this past Sunday, sorry, in John chapter 13. So let me play for you the music clip that we had, and then we'll kind of get into the message and what we'll be talking about. Um, See if it's possible, if you can listen to this music clip and not bob your head. So that is the video clip that we started off service with, and it was pretty funny to see. Uh, you could see which people watched uh, Night at the Roxbury because they started bobbing their heads just like that. So, um, But the title of the song, if I don't think a lot of people even know the title of the song, but the title of the song is What is Love? Um, and, and that's kind of the focus of the entire message in John chapter 13. And it's such an important topic and such an important uh, aspect of the Christian faith. It's really a cornerstone to the Christian faith. I mean, Jesus chose to leave heaven because he loved the world. Later on in the Bible, it says that God is love. So he is the definition of love, and he is the originator of it. Uh, and, and then the word also goes on to say, which we'll read part of it today, is that uh, Christians should be known by their love. So God's love is a cornerstone of the Christian faith. And I think it's of utmost importance that we uh, do everything that we can to try and understand this type of love and, and what exactly makes up this type of love. Because I think that we're all striving, Christians are striving um, to let the Spirit lead their lives, to be empowered by God, to be used by God, and to have that happen in a powerful and supernatural way. And the foundation of that really should be love. 
Um, and we'll talk about where truth fits in because it's not at the expense of truth, uh, but it's of just critical importance. I really have a great understanding of what love is, and then I do believe that we're called to become that love. So not just like soak it in, absorb it, and in many cases it's amazing that people can even get to that place. Um, but then we're called to become love and actually have the love of heaven be made manifest in our hearts and in our lives so when other people around us, they get to experience, see, feel part of what kingdom love looks like. So this issue is just, it's, it's huge, it's really important. And, uh, you know, we won't cover every single aspect in this message, but I do believe that Jesus does unveil some things in this passage. And whenever he's unveiling uh, something having to do with his love and acting out that love, not just talking about it, but acting it out. I always like to pay special attention, so that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, but uh, here's a couple of things that I found as I was studying for the passage during the week um, as far as love, the idea of love, and some things that go into the topic of love. Uh, what is love was actually the most searched Google phrase of 2012, believe it or not. Um, so that was interesting. And I got a couple of quotes here that was interesting too. One is from a physicist and a science writer, and one is from a philosopher and a writer. And let's see if you can identify uh, where each quote is from, from which person. So here's one of the quotes. It says, Biologically, love is a powerful neurological condition, like hunger or thirst, only more permanent. We talk about love being blind or unconditional, in the sense that we have no control over it. But then, that is not so surprising since love is basically chemistry. While lust is a temporary passionate sexual de desire involving the increased release of chemicals such as testosterone and estrogen, in true love, or attachment and bonding, the brain can release a whole set of chemicals, pheromones, dopamine, noriferine, and a lot of other stuff. Um, however, from an evolutionary perspective, love can be viewed as a survival tool, a mechanism. We have evolved to promote long-term relationships, mutual uh, defense, and parental support of children, and to promote feelings of safety and security. So that's one of the quotes. I know it's a mouthful, and it kind of gets into detail. And then here's the other quote. The answer remains elusive in part because love is not one thing. Love for parents, partners, children, country, neighbor, God, and so on, all have different qualities. Each has its variants. Blind, one-sided, tragic, steadfast, fickle, reciprocated, misguided, unconditional. At its best, however, all love is a kind and passionate commitment that we nurture and develop, even though it usually arrives in our lives unhidden. That's why it is more than just a powerful feeling. Without the commitment, it is mere infatuation. Without the passion, it is mere dedication. Without nurturing, even the best can wither and die. So those are the two quotes, and I think you could probably tell uh, which one is the scientist and which one is the philosopher. That first quote I read was the scientist, especially with the emphasis on evolutionary perspective and love being viewed as a survival tool. And then the second quote is from the philosopher, kind of looking at love and the idea as a whole and its impact um, to the person in love and those around that person. Uh, and one other topic that we looked at and we talked about 
um, was Dr. Steinberg from Yale University. He actually came up with uh, something called the triangular theory of love. So if you're listening, uh, you can do what we did at church on Sunday. We made triangles. We made triangles with kind of our fingers. So if you kind of hold them up in a triangle, so you could do that now. It's fine. Uh, make a triangle with your fingers. And or if you're listening and you're taking notes, you know, just draw a triangle right there. And in case you don't know, a triangle has three sides. Yes, it does. Um, but his triangle theory of love is that one side represents passion and intense longing to be with somebody. Um, another side represents commitment, uh, meaning somebody is making a decision. That's the decision part of love. And then the third side representing intimacy, a close bondness and a close connectedness with the person. So this is what uh, Dr. Steinberg came up with at Yale University is this triangular theory of love. You have passion, commitment, and intimacy making up three sides of a triangle. And throughout life, sometimes those sides have different lengths depending upon when somebody is in love or around love. So if somebody was just dating, they are just meeting each other and they're very excited and you know they're looking forward to every text um, or every email or you know any note they're just like oh my goodness you know so and so wrote me this or said that or sent me a smiley face or heart in a text or whatever it is and then you just go crazy you know probably that triangle has a long side of passion um, a, uh, a short side of commitment and a short side of intimacy you know it's just high highly passionate in the beginning wanted to be with each other all the time talk about each other whenever you hear their name you know you just your emotions take you there um, sometimes uh, in a marriage an unfortunate situation could be where somebody's been together a long time 30 40 years whatever it might be um, ideally that triangle would be a nice equilateral triangle you know where it's even passion, even commitment, even intimacy, um, or maybe even growing a longer side of intimacy would be great. But unfortunately, a lot of times that triangle just has a really long side of commitment and a short side um, of passion and a really short side of intimacy. Unfortunately, sometimes people are just, you know, we're just together, always have been, always will be, and kind of let's just ride it out. And God certainly meant for more than that. Um, but anyways, the point being is there's this triangle that uh, Dr. Steinberg made up, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. Um, only problem with it is that there's really no emphasis or focus on God in there. Um, but I think there's still some aspects in there that hold value for us that help us dissect love a little bit and think about it um, in ways that are important. Passion, commitment, intimacy, those are all very important. Uh, you can't really have love between two people without those things in there functioning but you know us as Christians we want them functioning in the right places and in the right way so we're going to take a look at John chapter 13 we'll read through it and I'll highlight some things as we read and uh, and then I just uh, have a couple of thoughts uh, to the passage and so what we're going to do is we're going to read the entire chapter because I think it just does the um, the situation and the scene a disservice if we kind of cut it off in the middle. So this way we get a look at the whole thing. So you want to grab your Bibles. Um, you know, push pause now. We've got to go grab it. So John chapter 13 um, is where we're going to be. And uh, we'll read through it. And we'll break it down. And then we'll talk about 
a couple of thoughts. So here's John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, It was just before the Passover feast. And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. So we've been reading through John chapter 12. And so now we come to the actual Passover feast. This is like the Last Supper. They're in the upper room. They're going to be eating together for the last time. Jesus will be betrayed soon in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, Palm Sunday has already happened. That week has already gone by. And so they're right at the end here. And that's why it says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew his time was coming. He knew his time was coming for uh, to be betrayed. His time was coming to be whipped. And his time was coming to hang on the cross and pay for sin for all time. And so it says, having loved his own, who are his own? His own are uh, James, Paul, Peter, Andrew, Simon, right? Everybody, all his apostles, his closest core that are with them. So having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That's a powerful phrase. And in some versions it says, love them to the last. <coughs> so we think of his love and now we are going to see, as it says in the word here, how he loves them to the last, or this is like the really the last full emphasis, um, the last snapshot of love. And so let's see what happens. In verse 2, it says, The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. So as the meal was being served, the devil had already been working on Judas. And truth be told, the devil had already been working on Judas for a while since he's been sticking his hand into the money bag and taking things that weren't his. And um, it already has been happening, and Jesus knew about it. But in verse 3, is important. It says that Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power and his control. So it's not like um, he didn't have power to stop the situation. And that's what's even more amazing. He had power to stop the situation, but he willingly chose to lay down his life for you, for me, for all of us, for all time. That's incredible. So he could have stopped the injustice. Uh, he could have stopped the unfairness. He could have stopped at any point in time. And uh, he never did. He actually chose to sacrifice, be taken advantage of, and never be appreciated and by a lot of people for the sake of the few that would. That's powerful. That's really powerful. And so then Jesus gets up from this meal. He takes off his outer clothing and wraps a towel around his waist. So it's kind of like he's getting in uh, a proposal type of scene here where he gets down um, on one knee or on two knees. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus himself humbles himself. He gets low. He pours water into a basin and begins to wash all of their feet, drying them with this towel that he had, which was probably part of his clothing. And so in verse 6, it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And so I'm sure as he's seeing everybody else, everyone else's feet being washed, he's like, oh man, what's going on here? So in verse 7, Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, 
but later you will understand. And a lot of times, that's the way Jesus works. A lot of times, that's the way God works. But we don't realize what he's doing in the moment. It doesn't make sense. I mean, why is he washing feet? What is, what is the deal? That just seems confusing because certainly the king of the universe that created them and is about to die for them doesn't need to wash their feet. So why is he doing this? What's the lesson? What's going on here? Um, and a lot of times, we're put in situations in life where it's, why am I put in this job? Why, why is my marriage going this particular direction? Why are my finances seem to be taking a turn like this? Why does so-and-so um, seem to be really difficult at this point in time? Um, or maybe during a great season, it's like, man, Lord, you've just been so good to me, I don't, I don't even understand. So a lot of times we don't understand right in the moment, but we will after. We will after. So it, that's why there's always a great danger to judge God's love by our circumstances. If possible, we want to try to avoid that. We want to evaluate and judge God's love by the cross. He said at the cross how much he loved us. He chose to lay his life down, and the Father thought it was more than worth it to use his Son as a ransom for many. His love spoke volumes there. So if life is going up or life is going down, that's not really a good indicator as far as how much God loves us or if we're doing something wrong or something right. And it could be possible we might be doing something wrong. But there's a lot of times when Christians are humbly and repentfully seeking his name and his face and challenges just continue to arise and happen and come up and then sometimes they just are sense scattering saying, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And a lot of times you're not doing anything wrong. You're faithfully trying to follow him. Uh, and sometimes the Christian life just looks like this. But it does not mean that necessarily mean that we're doing something wrong. And let's just continue to dance and jo with joy and sing that God is good, that he is able, that he's in control, and he's having his way. And we are allowing him to have his way. Um, it takes faith, but that's the faith that he's asking for. Uh, and if people are doing something wrong, and that's why God's not speaking, and that's why God's not moving, then the ultimate key to unlock that is confession and repentance. That's what puts us back into right relationship. Um, and then we'll be able to more clearly understand what God is doing. So, he says, you're not going to realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. So in verse 8, No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So then Lord said, Simon Peter said, Not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. So he's like, Man, just give me a bath, wash everything. If this is the deal and you're saying I have no part, just wash everything. So verse 10, Jesus says, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, Not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So that's like the model. That's why he was doing it, saying, hey, listen, I'm teacher, I'm Lord. That's true. But teachers and lords are not afraid to get low and get dirty. The Savior of the world modeled right there in that moment 
there's not any situation that's too dirty, too ugly, that he is, his pride is keeping him from getting involved into. And that's the message he wants to get across. That's true servant leadership. Christian leadership is, happens by ultimately by serving, not by telling everybody what to do and being bossy. Um, there is a place to proclaim and to be firm and have convictions, but there's a huge place as well for serving and um, helping to carry people's burdens and coming alongside and getting dirty and investing in people's lives or it's uncomfortable and difficult. and um, That's a huge part of the Christian faith. So in verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And he continues to talk, verse 18, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So Jesus again is saying, hey, listen, I know Judas is here. He's going to betray me. I knew it was going to happen. And Jesus refers to Psalm 41.9, um, saying that this betrayal is going to happen, and it had to happen because the word said so. And so he wanted to make sure that the word was fulfilled. And so in verse 21, he says, After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples looked at one another. So you drop a bomb like that in a room with these guys. And, uh, you know, everybody starts looking. How could you not? So they're all looking at each other, you know, with one eye kind of, uh, you know, glance shut a little bit and one eyebrow raised. And, you know, who is it? Who's the guy? Who's the one? So his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John who's writing this, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, so Peter, the same guy asked for a bath, motioned to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. You know, so they're all looking at each other and you know, he, he already came up with the bath response and uh, he feels pretty confident he's not going to be the one betraying and so he leans over to John and says, hey listen, you tell him. Ask him who he's talking about. So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. So the apostles had no idea. They, they understand the severity of the situation, that they're actually betraying the Savior of the world right here, and was going to do it with a kiss. Um, they thought, hey, whatever you got to do, go do quickly. They're thinking, hey, he's got to buy some more money, go buy some more um, food, or set something up. They had no idea. But they would find out. Verse 31, when he was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glory him at once. And Jesus is just saying, man, this is all about glory. This is all about glory to God, glory from God. 
uh, and being in the midst of it. And just saying, this is going to be a good hour. God, you're going to be glorified here. The Son of Man is going to be glorified. How is he going to be glorified? He's going to be glorified through the ultimate sacrifice of death. He's going to be glorified um, in the ultimate selfless example of laying his own life down for many. That's how he's glorified. So many times, like, you know, what, what we're familiar with is we're glorified by a lot of people talking really good about us and holding us in high regards and um, somehow elevating us and um, liking a lot of our statuses, favoriting a lot of our tweets or whatever it is, being really good at something and making sure people know about us. We get lots of awards, you know, we're getting glorified. And Jesus, like, it was totally opposite. The true glorification he was happy about was when it cost him everything and eventually his life because he knew that when he decreased, the Father would increase. And that's where God is calling us to be. He's calling us to have God be glorified in our life because he knows that is when we will be most satisfied. He knows that we'll be at the most peace and where we will be functioning as if really we should have been from the beginning when sin wasn't around. We could just be in right relationship. So glorification, and man, that happens. That happens when we decrease and he increases. That's why pride is just so dangerous. So verse 33 says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. He calls them my children. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. What is new about this command? We're going to talk about it in a minute. I, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the verse I was talking about in the beginning. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you can't follow, but you will follow me later. So Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay, my, lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And, um, and sure enough, that would happen. And, and we'll get to that point eventually. Um, but really, the scene and the situation is pretty amazing and pretty radical where Jesus gets down. He says, I'm going to show the full extent of my love now. I'm going to show you how to lead. I'm going to show you how to love. you got to get low. you got to get dirty at times. Um, and you got to wash people's feet and not be afraid to do that. Uh, because this thing is about glorification of the Father. And he ends up giving them a new command, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, and within all of this, uh, there's a traitor in the midst. There's a traitor in the midst. And here are two thoughts um, that I just couldn't really shake as I read through this and what we talked about on Sunday. One thought was this, um, is that God's love is a kind of love that disappoints and gives. God's love is a kind of love that disappoints and it gives. So here's what I mean by that. God's love is disappointing. God's love is disappointing when our expectations of how we think he should love doesn't match up with how he actually chooses to love. So our expectations of how we think he should love, when that doesn't happen, um, if our faith is not strong, a lot of times that can just send us reeling and just give us all the reasons we need to put him in a court um, in our minds 
and say, you know, if you really loved, you would be doing such and such, you would be doing this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and we build our cases, and um, we would think we're right. But sometimes his love absolutely disappoints. Because earlier on, before we read chapter 13, you know, it took us a couple weeks to get through, but we read John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, that whole chapter, this is earlier in the week, so we're at basically like Friday now, almost Friday, late Thursday night, when we're reading right now in John 13. Earlier in the week, Sunday, Monday, as he comes in, Palm Sunday, they're saying Hosanna in the highest. It's like a big party. Everybody's cheering, celebrating. They're laying their coats down. He gets on the donkey. They're saying Hosanna in the highest. Praise be to your name. Save us, save us. And in Luke's account, it actually records that, man, Jesus was weeping because they just so don't understand that they were under the impression that, man, God's love is going to be shown because he's given us a king right here and now. We're going to have our own nation. We're going to be back. We're going to be like a legitimate group, a legitimate society of people now. Thank you, Father. Praise you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's not at all what he was doing. He was setting them up to be one with God for a way to have access to God and be in relationship with him for all time so no sin can ever count against us. And they had no idea about that. His view was far greater, far deeper. And they had no idea. And they were extremely disappointed in that. And it was all love-driven from God's end. And it was really all disappointment driven on their end because they didn't meet the expectation that the king or savior that they thought was going to happen right then and there. But the king and savior was paying something much greater and establishing something much greater than just a legitimate nation of people. He's creating a people that can be saved and redeemed for all time. It's powerful. So, Sometimes his love does disappoint because on Monday they're saying, Hosanna, praise him, praise him, praise him. And then pretty soon we're going to see, by the end of the week, they're yelling, shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate's like, man, what did this guy do? And I don't even care. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Um, So I just thank you, Jesus, that you are more stable than the crowd's. Thank you so much that he's just locked in on the mission of what God has for him. Um, Because we can be fickle people. If things don't get met in the way that we think, man, we can switch gears really quick. Our emotions need as much saving as our souls do. I mean, we were born into Adam. We were born into sin. And to think that the only thing that was scarred by sin was our eternal salvation. And our spirits, I think, would be a tremendous mistake. I absolutely believe that our mind and our emotions were also scarred by sin. And then once the Holy Spirit takes dwelling and somebody commits their life and the Spirit is there, it is constantly transforming and renewing that person to the place before sin even got there. So our emotions need to be redeemed and our minds need to be redeemed. Um, Because we cannot just go solely based on whatever our emotions are telling us in the moment. It's just so dangerous Um, because that is not a telltale sign of what God is up to. It's not a a telltale sign of what God is up to. So it doesn't mean we should ignore them, 
Um, but as my wife so lovingly points out many times, um, wisely points out as well, they are indicators but not dictators. Um, and she heard that somewhere, and it's, there's a lot of truth to it. They're indicators, not dictators. So his love, um, it disappoints, and it disappointed when he was riding into Jerusalem. The love did not meet their expectations, um, and that hurt. That hurts, and, and it can be disappointing. So if his love is feeling disappointing to you right now, um, pray and ask God for the faith to believe that he is still good and that he's working all things for our good. We sung uh, you know, our song there on Sunday. Um, I don't remember the title of the song. I'm not good at titles of songs, but you've heard it before. We sung it before, and part of the song of the bridge or the chorus or whatever part of the song it is goes. Um, oh, great. Now I'm going to forget it. It's awesome. Uh, part of that song goes, uh, you work out all things for my good, something to that effect. You work out all things for my good, all things for my good. Um, but the thing is that he gets to choose what's good. Like we don't get to necessarily choose that. So his good and our good are radically different. Hopefully we don't lose faith in the process. So God's love is the kind of love that disappoints and gives and sometimes is disappointing. Now, in John 13, I really think, man, we really see the giving part. Because the part that rocked me when I was reading this was like, number one, it's ridiculous that the Savior of the world, Savior, Savior slash Creator of the entire universe, leave, chooses to leave heaven, gets into a human's body, gets completely abused and mistreated by the humans he's coming to save. I mean, they're not reliable. We, like we, we are not reliable. We are not trustworthy. We don't see things for what they are when it's really important. Um, and really, they all abandoned him. We read about a traitor right in the mix here. And he ch still chose to do it because love was driving him. It's amazing to me. And that's one piece of it. The piece that really put me over the edge was that he knew who Judas was, what Judas was doing, and he still chose to wash Judas's feet. That's incredible to me. That is incredible. Because I, I, I feel like if it was me or maybe someone else that had Judas in that position, you know, maybe you take him off to the side and you say, you know, I know who you are. I know what you've been doing. I'm going to wash these guys' feet. I'm not touching your feet. Like, you, you have never appreciated, you know, what's been happening around you. Um, you really don't even deserve this. And uh, you're not even going to show that you appreciate it after the fact. You're just going to betray me anyways. And so honestly, it's like a waste of water if you're involved in this process right now. You know, so I, I could see a conversation like that happening. And probably Jesus would have all the right in the world to do that. Like he'd have all the right in the world. He'd probably be right with everything that he would say. And if we chose to go down that direction, you know, sometimes we do choose to go down the direction of life with people. And a lot of times, you know, we could be right. Um. But there definitely is a place for truth, and there's a place uh, for love. And we don't want to compromise truth, but a lot of times in life, a lot of times, just the daily stuff we deal with, relationships, people, interpersonal conflict, a lot of times in life, there is just no life in being right. No life in being right. It just comes at such a heavy cost to where um, you just totally lose the person where a relationship could be severed, but somebody could say that they're right. Or somebody could sit in rightness 
and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, and that will destroy the relationship. So, man, many times, like, just being right about something is not, there's not a whole lot of value there because it doesn't bring a lot of life. It doesn't bring a lot of life. So, he chooses to wash Judas's feet. So here's two things that just stuck out to me. I thought this totally violates two things that we think are absolutely necessary um, for us to show love to another person. Here are the two things um, that I think are, most people probably think are totally necessary to show love to another person. Number one, do they deserve it? And number two, will they appreciate it? Those are like the... Those are like the, the two things right there. People are much more willing to love and show love if they feel like it's going to be appreciated and if they feel like somebody is going to deserve it. And that, there's probably a certain amount of truth to that, which I would agree with. I mean, Jesus also does say, do not cast your pearls before swine. So kind of be wise in the way that you're doing this. And you never see Jesus washing the Pharisees' feet. Um, but you do see him doing it here with his apostles, kind of his inner circle. So there's probably some truth to that. But he's still washing Judas' feet. He knows he's not, he doesn't deserve it, and he knows he's not going to appreciate it. But he was so close with the Father and so understood what the Father was doing that in that moment, that was the right thing to do. That's what God was asking him to do. And many times, that's where our pride can sneak right in, right there, boom, and get in the way. Well, they don't deserve it. They're not even going to appreciate it. It's a totally waste of time. Da, 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 da. And he could have all the reasons to be right, but it's coming at the cost, possibly. It could be coming at the cost of what God wants to do. And so it's, it's, it's of utmost importance that we are in relationship with God so that we can understand you know, what he's doing. So the markers of how much somebody deserves and how much somebody might appreciate, man, it, it doesn't matter a whole heck of a lot. doesn't matter a whole heck of a lot. And one arena that I just... Um, you know, have experienced this in tremendous ways, and many other people have as well. It's just in the arena of marriage. I mean, that's just where you just, this then one is in your face constantly, in your face in a good way. It's in your face constantly. Um, because in, in the vows of marriage, basically, two people, whether they know it or not, um, and usually they don't find it out until later, and so then that's when they want to get out because they're like, I didn't know at the beginning, but. That's where that commitment piece of love comes into play. You've got to make a decision to still be in on it. Um, many times in marriage, there's a temptation to want to hold back and withdraw and withhold acts of affection, love, um, vulnerability, um, service, whatever it might be. People want to hold back. People want to hold back these things because they feel like their spouse won't appreciate or doesn't deserve it. And it's in that arena of marriage, man, where we learn so much. We're basically, in marriage, I'm talking now, in marriage, it doesn't even matter if it's going to get appreciated or if they deserve it. Because that marriage is called to reflect Christ's love for the church. And his love was completely selfless completely self he none of his own agenda was attached to the love that he was going to show for his bride the church for us 
The only agenda that he had in there was what the father had. It was, let's, let's save them. No matter the cost, we're saving them. We're going to show them what their destiny is. We want them to walk in what we truly created them for. So that's what we're going after. It was never like, well, what if they deserve it? What if they don't take advantage of it? Maybe we can just, you know, get a, uh, just some people here that really appreciate it and we'll show love to them. And It was never a thing. He was just committed to the purpose of showing love and value in people's life. And um, I think in marriage, because I was using that illustration before, like that's what we're called to do. Um, so when somebody has a spouse, how much do they appreciate? How much do they deserve it? You know, And if there's issues there, hopefully, hopefully there can be an opportunity for some communication of, hey, listen, I feel like being underappreciated here, not being valued here, not being heard there. And hopefully those conversations can happen. Hopefully there's a positive response. But if there's not, that is not then a justification to go down a route of, well, they don't appreciate or deserve it anyways. Um, so I'm just going to hold back and, and not serve and, and not live selflessly in the way that Christ is calling me to do. That's, that's not cool, not good. And um, God certainly won't bless that. And what about the situations where the other spouse is intentionally trying to hurt and go after and take advantage of? Um, the cold, you know, hard truth there is we're still called to pour out love, still called to pour out love. Because, when, again, when you look at Jesus' life, people were intentionally trying to kill him, hurt him, do away with him. And his response was, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing right now. They don't even understand it. And that's the part of love that many people don't realize that we're called to because this idea of love is completely different than what most of us are used to. Most of us are used to, you know, um, love based on performance, love based on acceptance, uh, needing somebody to be there to help meet something. And that's not kingdom love. It's not. Um, that's love that has been tainted by sin. Love from heaven says, listen, you have tremendous value, destiny, and purpose, and I see what God is doing there, and I want to come alongside, and I want to be that love to help emphasize what God is doing. That's what kingdom love does. It wants to emphasize and be able to show and communicate the value in somebody's life so they can then see it because kingdom love has encountered them. And so I wish I was looking at a congregation right now. I could say, does that make sense? But, you know, does that make sense? I, I hope it does because we are called to become the love. He says, Father, forgive them. I don't even know what they're, they don't know what they're doing. They just don't know. And so sometimes we're around people and we just get offended so easily. And it's like, man, they don't deserve it. Da, 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 da. Anyways, we've got all the reasons. But man, it's just most likely, listen, if they knew the way they were and truth was real in their life, they wouldn't want to be that way either. They don't want, and who knows what made them that way. But God has placed us there and aren't they fortunate that God has placed us there and they get to experience kingdom love from us instead of the same old condemnation that they might get from somebody else, the same old defensiveness they might get from somebody else, the same old short patience they might get from somebody else. So God is calling us to something so much higher, so much higher. So 
God's love is the kind of love that disappoints. It does a lot of times because we don't understand. We don't have uh, heaven's eyes a lot of times. We're not on heaven's table a lot of times. And it also gives in a radical way that is unparalleled and unmatched. It gives in ways that's unparalleled and unmatched. And it's not afraid to get low and get dirty. But it requires wisdom of when the Father is doing that. I think that's really the important piece. So it causes us to be in relationship. Which leads me into the final thought here in this passage. Because Jesus says, hey listen, I'm giving you a new commandment. Which it doesn't sound that new. Because even in Deuteronomy it says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it sounds really similar. But um, as you look uh, in the word here, let me find uh, the verse again where he uh, talks about it. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. That's not new, but here's the part that is new. As I have loved you. That's the part that is new. As I have loved you. That's the new part. So you must love one another. See, the new part of the command is that we love based out of the fact how Jesus has loved us. See, Jesus didn't come in the Old Testament, so we can't really do that. It's just, hey, just love. Offer up what we say to do. Follow the rules. Da, 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 da. New Testament is, Jesus saying, new command, you love as I have loved you. That is assuming that someone is in relationship with God and with Jesus. And then they come to a realization of how deep and how awesome and how magnificent God's love is for them. And from that place, they then now become that love to those around them. I really hope that part makes sense. So you can see the value and the need for being in a relationship with God because our love is supposed to flow out of the relationship that's coming from Him. And for some people, it's just incredible and amazing to even get to the point where they realize and see that God loves them because maybe all they've known is people that take advantage of them that only tell them that they're worth something if they can do something um, there could be a myriad of reasons and so they get to the point that wow God is not like the people that I've experienced in my life he's totally different he loves me that is miraculous miraculous and so then the call on that life is to then not, not just soak that up for the, rest of etern- for the rest of time on earth. They should continue to soak it up, but that's not the goal. The goal is to soak that up and then be a conduit that God can be made manifest through their life. So it's like, oh my gosh, this love and forgiveness is unbelievable. Thank you, Father. I praise you for it. And then the next level of that prayer, of our prayer, should then become... Father, thank you now. Help me to become, help me to live out that love and forgiveness that you've shown me. So when people are around me, Lord, it's, it's easier for them to understand who you are and what kingdom love looks like. That's powerful stuff. That's what we're called to do. That's the new commandment, is to now become that love that he has shown us. And it's really difficult to become that love if we don't even really know who Jesus is. That's why, man, it always, always, always comes back to relationship and being with our Father and communing with Him and understanding what He says and what's going on and being in prayer with Him and talking with Him and shutting things down and being silent and speak to our hearts. And 
and, and, and feeding our souls with His Word and being in community with our brothers and sisters and growing together. That's where the wellspring of life is. And so this... Uh, I've already gone a little bit longer. This is kind of like a Sunday morning. You know, I was hoping to keep this thing right at 45 minutes, but I'm already a little bit over. Um, so I'll just close, I guess, with this thought here as far as love goes. And I guess here's the thing that God has, you know, really laid on my heart with this one. Um, loving others with kingdom love, the way God is talking about. Not, you know, there's like this thing of, if we're not in a relationship and we're being kind to those around us, it, it, it's really just being nice. It, it, it just kind of stops there. Like we can get along with people. We kind of maintain the peace. Um, it probably call, comes at a heavy cost where people are trying to just be people pleasers and they never really are able to talk about what's really bothering them. But um, the, being nice is, 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 won't get you very far. We're looking to bring kingdom love to help transform a life. Um, gentleness and uh, kindness is, are certainly fruits of the Spirit, but it's fruit of the Spirit's life. Like, we don't just want to be known as the nice people. We want to be known as the Christian nice people that are ready to lay down their lives. Not just be nice, but to address truth when it comes up. But man, they're also right there to serve, wash somebody's feet, whatever it takes. And so if there's a brother and sister in my life that I wouldn't just be ready at the drop of a hat to wash their feet, then I know that's not cool. There's issues in my life that have to be worked out if that's the case. Um, especially Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, people that, that aren't Christian, we're probably still called to wash their feet. But again, I think it's, it takes a little bit more wisdom there and understanding where and when to do that. Um, because we certainly can't throw out that piece where Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before a swine. We can't forget about that. So, closing thought here. Loving others. I started down the closing thought before, and then I got sidetracked again, so I just blame it on the Holy Spirit. So, loving others is highlighting and giving all emphasis to the amazing value that God has placed in and on a person's life. I think loving others is highlighting and giving all emphasis to the amazing value that God has placed on a person's life. And hopefully being able to then communicate that amazing value, that their limitless value is only harmoniously at peace in their lives when they live their lives for the one who gave it for them. Like, I think that's what we're called to do, loving other people, man. Just being able to communi- highlight and communicate the value that God has placed in their life and then sharing with them, being like, listen, this is what God, you're an awesome person. Here's what God has given you. Here's where he's placed you. It's, it's amazing. You could do this, that, whatever. But listen, man, your life will come into place and you will just be at an amazing peace when you offer that back to the one who created you with it to begin with. It's all going to make sense then. And it's worth everything if you do it. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to love because it doesn't just come at the cost of leaving Jesus Christ out. No, it, it means bringing him back into the conversation and showing him, man, he created you in the first place with it. And when you submit it back to him, it'll fulfill you beyond your wildest imagination. So, if we don't really understand God's love all that much, it's really hard to communicate to those around us. And I know that God is calling us to do that. He said that in this passage. The world will know that you are Christians by the way that you love. 
And I hope that it's a marker, man, that sets us apart. Not just that we know a lot of Bible verses and um, our, you know, doctrines, belief systems. It's not so much about that. It's, man, do I know the heart of God? And it's evident. A lot of times, a lot of people, when they know the heart of God, maybe they can just get around people, uh, and they are just, it's just nice to be around people. And I think God is calling us to be, just be fans of people. Just be excited. Man, you are an awesome, it's so cool that you can do this, or it's so great that you do that. And giving people our full attention when they talk, and um, just investing into others' lives. We should be fan of people. I think God is a tremendous fan of people. He thinks they're valued in so many ways. And of course, there's a need for repentance that we all come into right, right relationship. Um, but whew, I hope we're fans of people. We want to see them do well. We want to encourage them so much so that even if they excel past us, that our pride doesn't then get in the way and say, oh, why is God doing that for them and not for me? That hopefully we can come alongside and say, praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for doing this in their life. Thank you, Father. Show them more of your love, more of your goodness, Lord. Bring it in their life. I pray that that's a place where we go because that's where we need to be. That's where God can use us. That's where God can use us in a mighty way. So let's just close in prayer together. So Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your amazing love, God. I thank you for it transforming my life. And I thank you, God, that you're not done transforming many lives. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us a better understanding of your love, Lord, of how to really live it out in our lives. And ask you, Holy Spirit, just to touch and just minister and speak to each person. Lord, that uh, hears this message, God, and may just convict hearts, Lord, to just be in relationship with you, Lord. And may they be able to then love out of that overflow of the relationship that they are building with you, Father. Thank you for that amazing love, Lord. Continue to build it into our lives, build it into our church, God. And may it be a love, Lord, that understands heaven and that does not compromise on truth, Father. We need to understand that balance and it just takes Holy Spirit wisdom to do it. So Holy Spirit, please teach it to me, teach it to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.